Well, if you've got your Bible, go with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 58. And while you're looking for Isaiah 58, let me remind you of what we've been talking about from the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Let's put that on the screen for us, guys, if we can, please. So thankful for all of our audio team and video team and lighting team and all of these guys, men and women, I so appreciate their help. This stuff is not easy and they think on their feet and they're quick and I just, I'm so appreciative of, of that team and all our teams. Don't you love hearing these reports? Uh, we get a lot of cleaning team testimonies and uh, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, there might be something to that. So appreciate all, everybody who's given of their time and their love. Thank you, Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we've been looking at these verses together for several weeks now. Let's look at it again, beginning in verse 1. It says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And listen to this statement. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord that had filled the Lord's house. When all the children saw, children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, say it with me, for he is good for his mercy endures forever. All of this was in and around the dedication of the temple in the Old Testament. The temple that took hundreds of billions of dollars to build and year after year after year. And all of that just re represents heart. Time spent on something represents heart. Money spent on something represents heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And they put so much heart into it that God came to church that day. When it came time to dedicate that place, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The fire came down. That's the power of God. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That's the presence of God. The power and the presence, the fire and the glory. And we've been talking about this for weeks. I think this is like our eighth or ninth week in a row now looking at this. And we're pressing towards the dedication of this place. And I believe that's something we're going to do, not just out of some tradition or because somebody else did it once before. I believe we have the heart of God on this and this is significant to him. Dedication, when you dedicate anything to God, he sees it as an invitation. Your dedication is his invitation. That's you and I saying, God, this is your place. You can do what you want. You can have your way. You are welcome in this place. And we invite you to fill it up. Fill up every corner of every room. Fill up this sanctuary. Fill up that hallway. Fill up those children's rooms. Fill up our offices upstairs. It's yours, Lord. And when we dedicate something to him like that, he sees it as an invitation. And he will come. And we've been looking for weeks together at what it is in our lives that instigates, if you will, greater degrees and greater manifestations of the glory of God. The glory of God being his heavy, weighty presence. And weight equals value. And when you put value on it, that gives him, like we've already said, the invitation to move in. And as we've talked about it for weeks and weeks, this expectation for it begins to grow. 
you know, if you touch on it once or twice and you just kind of go over it, as significant as the verses are, if you don't give it time, you, you don't grasp the importance of it. And the more time you spend with it, the greater the expectation begins to build on the inside. And we're not just talking about the glory of the Lord filling this house. We're talking about his glory, his power, and his presence filling your house. And this expectation is beginning to build for it. And we're talking, especially over the last several weeks, about preparing for the fire and the glory, the power and the presence. And our desire as the leaders of this church and what we want in you what the desire we want you bringing week after week is that God would pour through a wide open door into this place, pour out power, pour out presence. And like we've already said, I am not content to come and just look at you for a couple hours a week. I'm not content to stand up here and let you look at me for a couple hours a week and then say, see you next week. There's gotta be more. I'm saying it to you week after week, but I want it to stick. There has got to be more. Do you believe that? Say it out loud. There's got to be more. And the power of God is the more. The presence of God is the more that we're talking about. So if we want God pouring through an open door, the question is, well, why didn't he just do it? You're God. God's God. Do what you want. Come on in. He can't. He can't. He can't just pour through that open door. Number one, if honor hasn't opened the door. Now, if some of this is new to you, you need to go back and catch up with us. We're building here. But honor opens the door. Our honor for him opens that door. But we've also seen that faith is connected to it. He can't just do it apart from your faith. Jesus told Martha, I told you if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Your faith is connected to it. So two big things in in connection to us seeing greater degrees of the glory of God. Number one, honor opens the door. And number two, we must believe to see it. It will not happen apart from our faith. And as we've seen already, faith gets ready. Faith, that's one of the big ways you know you are in faith. It's more than talk. There's preparation taking place. If you are expecting, you will be preparing. Expectation produces what? preparation. It's just like, it's like a mother who's been told you're going to have a baby. And now all of a sudden she's expecting. There's an expectation that for the next 40 weeks, that expectation manifests in her preparation, preparation of the house, preparation of the room, more than that preparation of the heart, preparation of the mind. And as a, as a man, as a husband, I'm grateful for the opportunity to prepare. It took me about 40 weeks to wrap my head around being a daddy. And I just comforted myself over and over again, thinking, man, hundreds of billions of people have done this. Surely I'm not the dumbest one. There's no way. There's no way I'm the dumbest guy that's ever been a dad. Probably not even top 10 dumbest. So thank you, Lord. But it takes time, doesn't it, to prepare. Preparation. Faith gets ready. And that's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And we've ended up here in the book of Isaiah chapter 58. We talked about how prayer is preparation. I don't want to skip too fast past this. You remember we talked about Noah. And the word of the Lord came to Noah and said, flood's coming. 
And he responded to that word. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that by faith, he prepared an ark. When the Lord starts talking to you about the coming glory and building an expectation for it, it's a two-sided coin, if you will. On one side, when he says, get ready, that should spark some excitement in you. There should be, there should be a realization in you, man, something's coming. Something's coming. And you get excited about what's ahead of you. There's power in looking forward to it. Whatever it is, there's power in looking forward to it. You ever had vacation on the books? Maybe a few months out in the future and all you have to do when the days are getting long and you're getting tired and getting worn out, you just remember vacation cometh and the power of looking forward to it goes to work on the inside of you, right? Birthday's coming, anniversary's coming. Whatever's out in front of you, there's power in looking forward to it. And in God, something's always coming. I don't care how far you are or if this is the furthest you've ever been, the greatest you've ever seen, the best you've ever experienced. In God, there is more. In him, something's always coming. And it's better and it's greater and it's higher and it's the glory of God. Something's always coming. So when you get this word on the inside of you, get ready, get ready, get ready. There should be an excitement that builds because why? What do you know? Something's coming. Something is coming, but there is a flip side to that coin. And when God says, get ready, what's he mean? You ain't ready. In other words, I can't do this thing today. If I did, it would either hurt you or it would pass right by you for one reason, not ready. And I mentioned this to you a few weeks ago. I didn't get the time with it that I wanted to, but Sarah and I experienced this in such a profound way a number of years ago. I remember I was 36 and getting ready to turn 37 later that year. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Jeremy, I want you fit by 40. And that came out of the book of second Timothy chapter two, where the, the, where Paul writing to Timothy said in a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver and wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. If anyone cleanses himself of the latter, he'll be a vessel of honor fit for the master's use and prepared for every good work. What's prepared? Ready. Ready. Fit. Prepared. Fit. In shape. Right? And I know when the Lord said that to me, I had been working out at that time for months, harder than I ever had been before. Started this other thing and got really into it. So when he said that, that was the first thing on my mind. Oh, I got to keep working out. <laughs> but then it took me not very long to, to realize and remember when God talks to you about change, it's never from the outside in. It's always from the inside out. And so when he said, Jeremy, I want you fit by 40. And again, I was 36, almost 37. It caused this excitement to stir in me. Something's coming. Something's coming. He'd never dealt with me in those terms before. Something's coming. And whatever it was, I didn't know what it was. I had this three, three and a half year window to get ready. And what I realized after I calmed down from the excitement, something's coming, something's coming. <laughs> you realize, boy, you ain't ready. In other words, if he tried to do it, then it either would have 
been detrimental to us or we would have missed it all together for one reason, weren't ready. So went to work over the next several years and initially didn't know what that was, but we knew it was coming. But the more time went by, the more the church began to grow in our heart and the more we could see it and the more we started praying over it. And we started asking, Lord, where is it? Where is it, Lord? And we had come, most of you know the story, we'd come to Colorado years before that, years and years before that, thinking it's gotta be here somewhere. And the Lord dealt with us way back then, go home, it's not time. But when I was 38, so two years and some later, I guess, almost 39, all this about Colorado came up in our spirit again. And it was a 10 year old dream that had kind of just gone back to sleep. And the first week of October that year, it came back up in our spirit. And by the first of November, between that week in October and the first of November, I turned 39, I think I've got this right. And we were up here looking. And by February of the next year, we had found this place, put an offer on it, by what, April, May, it was ours. We closed on it. And the first day I stood in this pulpit, in this room to minister, I was just days away from 40 years old. We didn't see what it was those years before. But what he was saying is, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Oh, that's exciting, Lord. Yes, but it also means what? You ain't ready. Prepare. Faith gets ready. So are you expecting something in your life? Are you expecting whatever it is, materially, financially, naturally, but more important than that, spiritually, the outpouring of the glory of God in your house. Well, what are you doing to get ready for that? Because that's what faith does. And we've seen in scripture how prayer is a part of our spiritual preparation. We ended up here in Isaiah 58 talking about fasting. Yay! But this is a part of our preparation. So let's look at it again in verse six. God's people had been fasting, but they'd been doing it all wrong. And it was frustrating them. And more than that, it was frustrating God. And he finally had to speak up through his prophet and talk to his people and clarify what fasting was supposed to look like, what the purpose of it was, what the result of it was. And he said in verse six, this is God speaking through the prophet. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Now we're gonna read several verses, but I want you to look for two words in the verses we read, two words. I want you to look for the word if, everybody say if, if. and I want you to look for the word then. then. What two words are we looking for? If, if and then. then. So he's, he's basically already said it in these verses. If you were to loose the bonds of wickedness, if you undo the heavy burdens, if you let the oppressed go free, if you break every yoke, he's talking about this fast. This fast is supposed to be 
When you share your bread with the hungry, if you, if you share your bread, if you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, if you see the naked and you cover them, if you don't hide yourself from your own flesh, verse eight, what's it say? Then, then your light shall break forth like the morning. I like this one. Your healing will spring forth speedily. Man, I like that. I like that so much. Quick miracles, quick healing. Believe in God and, and it's happening quick in your body. Your healing is just springing forth speedily. He said, your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The glory's got your back, protecting you from behind. Verse nine, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. What's the next word? If, if, if you take away the yoke from your midst, and what is that yoke? The pointing of the finger, speaking wickedness. And we've talked a lot about this. No more of that. We're fasting that, right? Between now and dedication weekend, we're fasting it. And we're not picking it back up. This is not, man, I can't wait till this fast is over and I can start complaining again. I can start blaming again. I can start criticizing again. No. Some things you fast for a little while, then you go back. Some things you fast till they go away forever. And this is one of those things. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the figure is speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then, you see these words? Your light will dawn in the darkness. Your darkness will be as the noonday. Light will dawn in the darkness. Your darkness is like the noonday. What's he saying? He's saying the darkest it'll, it'll ever be in your life is like 12 noon. How dark is that? Not very dark, is it? The darkest it'll ever get. In darkness is confusion. In darkness is bumping around and bouncing around. You, can't, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what's making you trip. But he said, your light will break forth like the morning. Your darkness will be like the, moon, the, the noonday. Never darker than noonday. I like the sound of this. This is knowing what to do all the time. This is seeing where to go all the time. The Lord, verse 11, will guide you continually. Will you ever be in the wrong place if God is always guiding you? Not once, not once. He'll guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. Strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Verse 12, those from among you shall build the, uh, the old waste places, the old waste places. This is special to us. This place that you're sitting in, this beautiful sanctuary, just what, a year and some ago, a couple of years ago, it was a waste place. It was going to waste. It was run down. It needed love in a big way. And I won't tell you what they were growing upstairs. And I mean, all kinds of stuff going on in this place. It was abandoned. It was a waste place. But look what he said would happen. 
those from among you would build up the waste places. That's taking something that's in ruins and going to waste and causing it to be beautiful again. Causing life to come into it again. Building it back up. He said, you'll raise up the foundations of many generations and you will be called the repairer of the breach. I see Jesus in this. That's his assignment to repair that breach between God and man. But that's our ministry too. That's part of what we do here is we build that bridge back that's been burned and torn down in people's minds between them and God. I'm too far from God. I can't get to God. You're the repairer of that breach. You're the one who gets to say, no, you're never too far. Come on, walk across this bridge. His name is Jesus. You can get right back to the father. You're repairing that breach. You're, you're building up a waste place. You'll be called the restorer of streets to dwell in. Verse 13, say this word with me. If, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him in not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Verse, verse 14, then... Then you will delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. This is my favorite line. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. What's he saying? End of story. That's the end of period. Now here's what I got to wondering this week with all these if then statements, if this, then that. What do these things have to do with each other? You go back and look at it. Every if is something you do. Every then is something God does. And every then that we looked at from your light breaking forth, your healing springing forth, your darkness being the noonday, your, your bones being strong, your life being like a watered garden, him causing you to ride on the high places of the earth. All of this is God on display in your life. Every bit of it. Or in a word, it's the glory. And he talked about it, the glory of God will be your rear guard, will guard you from the back. This is protection. But what I'm trying to figure out is what do these things have to do with each other? If you feed the hungry, if you clothe the naked, if you stop the pointing of the finger, if, if, then, then. If you go look at it and just take time with it, the one thing that you see, I think above anything else, is that every if has to do with you and I getting ourselves off our minds. Every one of them. If you are feeding the hungry, your own hunger is not on your mind. Your own satisfaction is not on your mind. And you go through and look at every one of these ifs and every one of the thens. The ifs are about you getting yourself off your mind. The thens are about the glory on greater display in your life. We need to make this connection. 
Getting ourselves off our minds. Get me off my mind. <laughs> Why? Because I can't get me off my mind. <laughs> Sounds like a country song. <laughs> I got to get me off my mind. And everything he went through in here, from feeding others to uh, not pointing the finger, you extending your soul to the hungry, who are you thinking about? Somebody else. Uh, if, oh, here's a good one. Verse 13 again. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. If you go back and look through scripture, the Sabbath is a big deal to God. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis, when God spoke and power and, and glory came out of his mouth and it began to create, to create, to create. Every day, you remember what he said at the end of the day? God saw it and he said that it was good. good. Day one, he saw it and said it was good. Day two, saw it and said it was good. Day three, day four, it's good. It's good. Day five, he said it's good. Day six, he saw it and said it was good. But day seven, the day he rested, he didn't call it good. You want to know what he called it? Holy. Holy means separated. Everything else was good. This day's holy. And you see that in his attitude towards the Sabbath and towards rest. And faith is a rest. I mean, I wish I had time to unpack all that. But this is one of the big reasons he loves it. Faith is a rest. It's confidence. I've ceased from my own labors. And he calls this holy. It's confidence in the good that's already been done. Okay, listen. So now you and I are living in that seventh day. We're living in the day of grace, the day of rest, when all the good work has been accomplished, this day's holy. But you show that reverence towards that day by turning away your foot from the Sabbath, or in other words, you don't do your own pleasure that day. You call the Sabbath a delight. I delight in this holy day. I delight in your rest. And this is why we come. There's a number of things you could be doing today. Just on the way here, do you know how many trucks and trailers I see pulling forerunner or pulling four wheelers and dirt bikes and boats and people going up into the woods and to the mountains. And you know what? God bless you. But is this the only day that we can do those things? Or is this a day that should be set apart? Sacred. A day that he said, you don't do your own thing from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. You call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable. You honor him. How do we honor him? Listen to these words. Not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, not speaking your own words. And the result of that, you delight yourself in the Lord. He'll cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, feed you with the heritage of Jacob. Go to the New Testament with me. We're going to make this clear. 
in the book of John chapter three. Get me off my mind. In John chapter three, begin around verse 25. So then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples, talking about John the Baptist, some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they, John's disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, or look, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. John's disciples are getting alarmed because their crowds were shrinking in a hurry. Rabbi, look, the, the one you testified of, who are they talking about? Jesus. They're concerned, they're worried, and they want John to be worried with them. The crowd shrinking, Rabbi, he was with you beyond the, the Jordan to whom you testified. Behold, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Look, we had so many people coming to repent and it was great and they were being baptized, but they're gone now. Why? They're all going to the one you pointed to. You lost our crowd. But John answered in verse 27 and said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Now this is powerful. When you think about what we're talking about right now, this man's entire calling and purpose for existence was one thing, prepare the way. Prepare, preparation. And as significant as Jesus' ministry was and is, it had to be prepared for by this man. And it was this man that the prophets of old spoke of. One, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, repent, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he knew it. He, he knew his whole ministry was this preparation, was to get ready for Jesus. I like what he said in verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He's like, look, I'm not the groom. It's not my day. I'm not the man. Man, that'll set you free right there. I'm not the man. Get me off my mind. Help me quit thinking I'm the man. He's saying, I'm not the man. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm not where the attention goes. He said, I'm the friend. I'm the one that gets to stand beside him. I'm the one that gets to hear his voice. And he said, in that, my joy is fulfilled. This is humility. This is such humility. He's not panicked about the crowds leaving. He's not panicked about the size of the offerings going down. He's not worried about any of this. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 30, he must increase. I must decrease. Get me off my mind. He must increase. So when they came to John all panicked about the crowds leaving, John said, no. It has to be this way. 
This is actually good. They're going, good? Your ministry's falling apart right in front of you. And he says, no, he has to increase. But notice what has to happen for he to increase. For he to increase, something else has to happen at the same time. I has to decrease. And if I decreases, then he increases. And John's saying, it has to be this way. He must. He must. Listen to some of these other translations. In the Amplified Bible, it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must grow more prominent. I must grow less so. How many people you know think in that way? The New Living Translation says, he must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. For him to increase required I, me, to decrease. The Young's Literal says it like this, him it behooveth. <laughs> Do you use that word yet today? <laughs> it's better for him. It behooveth him to increase and me to become less. Or you could say, it behooves me to become less. This is humility. For Jesus' ministry to gain strength and momentum, John's would have to lose it. And John was good with that. Because he said, Jesus must increase. For one to increase, the other must decrease. What has to happen for Jesus to be more seen? What's got to happen to you? Man, listen to the enthusiasm and the roar. <laughs> Flesh doesn't like this. And again, let me remind you, that's the only group of people that really needs to fast people with flesh. Outside of that, no need. But if you have flesh, you need this. What has to happen for Jesus to be more seen? What has to happen for God to be more on display? For the, great, for the, the, the degree of glory to go up and up and up? What has to happen to you and to me? We must have to. Have to. They cannot happen at the same time. He can't increase while you and I do, while we do our own thing, while we, while we seek our own ways, while we seek our own pleasure, while we speak our own words. What's going to have to happen for his words to be heard greater? What's going to have to happen to your words? Can you see this? Think about decrease and increase in terms of volume because that's what fasting does. Turns up the voice of the spirit and down the voice of the flesh. So if his voice is going to be heard more, then the volume has to be increased on that voice. But what's going to have to happen to the volume on your voice? What's going to have to happen to the volume on your opinion? What has to happen to the volume on all your thoughts and all your ways and all your seeking? The volume's going to have to be turned down. For him to increase, we have to decrease. I'm saying it with a smile on my face, <laughs> hoping that that makes it more palatable for you. Because we're talking about crucifixion, killing our flesh. 
<laughs> You'll never have an increase of him and an increase of you at the same time. More of him comes as the result of less of you. Less of your own ways, less of your own pleasure, less of your own words. If you got just another minute or two, go to the book of Matthew with me, chapter 16. If you're out of time, you're welcome to leave. Um, I don't want to keep you. If you've had all you can take, I understand. But in Matthew chapter 16, I love this. I want to begin reading in verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? This, this was in the days, of course, before one could Google oneself. You had to find out word of mouth from other people. Who do men say that I am? So here's the search result right here. Verse 14. They said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? That is the most important question that any man or woman has ever been asked or will ever be asked. Your eternity hangs on how you answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? All of eternity hangs on it. This is the most important, most weighty question that anybody has been or could ever be asked. Who do you say Jesus is? Because there are a lot of people even today answering the first question. Who do men say? Well, you know, I've heard he's, you know, he's a good teacher, a lot of good morals, probably a prophet, son of God. Eh, that's a stretch. Your eternity hangs on how you answer that question. Who do you say that I am? And man, you got to love Peter. Simon Peter piped up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Don't you love it? Not one of anything. The. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why? Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The blessing, the blessing of the Lord begins with knowing how to answer that question. There is no blessing apart from answering that question the right way. Who do you say Jesus is? And here is the right answer. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when you say that, Jesus turns to you and says, you know who you are? You are the blessed. You are the blessed. Why? Here's the reason he's blessed. And this is what he said to Peter. And this is what he said to him in front of everybody. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't get this from tradition. This was not handed down information. 
This was not commentary from rabbi who said this about that one and that about this one. He said, you got this from my father. I mean, who could say that? We can say it now. We got the spirit of God living in us and I hope you're hearing from him every day. But who could say that then? Blessed. This is a very public recognition of this moment Peter had with the father. The father revealed this to him. And Jesus added to it, verse 18, and I say to you, you are Peter and on this rock. Now people have taken that to mean Peter's the rock. Peter's not the rock. The rock is the revelation that came through him. What's the rock? That Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living up. There's the rock. And he said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a good day for Pete. Man, what do you think that did for him? Hey, Jesus said, who do you say I am? And I just, it just came out. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And out of that comes the blessing and the authority to bind and to loose. And I'm building a church on this revelation. Peter, I did good today, boys. It says in verse 20, then he commanded his disciples that no one should tell that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ from that time. So starting right then, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things with the elders and chief priests of the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter, verse 22, took him aside. And began to rebuke him. What's going on? Peter's feeling good. I got revelation. You hear that, John? Revelation. Look it up. I heard from the father. Yeah, he talks to me. We're, we're tight. He talks to me. Revelation. Straight from the throne room. You understand? And not but a few verses later, what do you see happening? Peter pulling Jesus aside and rebuking him because Jesus had began to talk about what was in the days ahead, the persecution, the crucifixion, his death and his resurrection. And Peter, you know, he hears from God, takes it upon himself to say, Jesus, Step into my office. I didn't want to say anything in front of the boys, but he began to rebuke him and correct him. And depending on what translation and, and, and different ones bear this out, what he said was, far be it from you, Lord. This will not happen to you. Other translations, and even in the original language, if you look it up, Peter said, pity thyself. One translation says, show thyself mercy. Be kind to who? Thyself. Thyself. One of the things you see and that you must be watchful over, that when you get revelation and you see something in the word 
Or do you see something in Jesus that not everybody sees? And it can happen. It will happen if you're hungry for it. But just because you got something that's from God doesn't mean every thought you think and every word you speak from that moment forward is from God. Peter's yielding to the Father in the morning and yielding to something else in the afternoon. And it's something to watch out for in our lives. We're talking about get me off my mind, right? It's pride, isn't it? This kind of pride's the worst. It's the most dangerous. That just because you heard one thing from God, you think everything you have to say is from God. And it manifests in somebody trying to take a place they've not been given. It shows up in them trying to take a place, a position higher than what they've been given. How many of you know, Peter has not been given a place to rebuke Jesus. This is not the proper authority. And I want you to see how Jesus responded to it. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. Don't think this way. Pity yourself. Be kind and merciful to yourself. This will not happen to you. But he turned, verse 23, and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Yielding to God in the morning, yielding to the devil in the afternoon. Now listen to some of these other translations of this. The Passion Translation says in verse 22, Peter took him aside to correct him privately. He reprimanded Jesus over and over, saying to him, God forbid, Master, spare yourself. You must never let this happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get out of my way, you Satan. You are a hindrance to me because your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not the ways of God. God's word translation says in verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get out of my way, Satan. You are tempting me to sin. You aren't thinking the way God thinks, but the way humans think. The Weist translation says, having turned around, now listen to this, having turned around with his back turned to Peter and Satan said to Peter, be gone under my authority and keep on going behind me out of my sight, Satan. This, all this positioning is important. Jesus is talking to the disciples, beginning to explain to them. This is the first they've heard of his death. And Peter, with too much boldness, arrogance is what it is, pulls him aside, rebukes him and corrects him, so he's standing there talking to Jesus. Jesus, in response to Peter, turns his back to Peter and says what? Get behind me, Satan. He, he physically demonstrated what he wanted to happen in the spirit. Get behind me. Satan? 
Now here's what's interesting. If you study the rest of this chapter in the Gospels, you never find an instance where Jesus came back to Peter and said, hey, bro, I'm sorry. I really overreacted back there. I, I, I shouldn't have called you Satan. That was a little too much. I, my bad. I think my blood sugar's low, and I just, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, not feeling myself. No apology, no backtracking, no retract, retracting of what he said. What's that tell you? It was the right response. And you're thinking, what was so wrong about what he said? It's what Satan was saying. Get yourself on your mind. Never in all of human history, past nor eternity future, Will there be a greater display of somebody getting, their, getting themselves off their mind than Jesus on the cross? Amen. And you know he had to respond that way. He said, you're tempting me. Temptation. Tempted to feel sorry for himself. Does Jesus deserve everything he's just talked about? This dying and this beating and this persecution and this, this horrible death. Does he deserve any of that? No. Do you think it's possible that he had to deal with that thought? I don't deserve this. But self-pity is I full blast. Self-pity is the volume on you cranked up to 11. When you're thinking about what you don't deserve and why me and why now and why us and this hurts and I hate this and why'd they do this to me, that is you fully increased. And with that all the way up, how much manifestation of he can there be? None. If I increase, he decreases. If manifestation of me increases, manifestation of him decreases. This is how he had to respond. Get behind me. And then what did he do? Turned his back to Peter, said to the disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever desires to, uh, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Can you hear the way he's saying it? You want to go with me? We can't have any of this. You got to get yourself off your mind. I'm going. If you're coming, you got to do the same thing. Anybody wants to hang on to his life, go do it over there. But I tell you this, you try to keep it, you'll lose it. But if you will lose it for my sake, if you will turn the volume down on I, then the volume on he will go straight up and you will find your life. You'll find it. But the Weiss translation, the Weiss translation of this, let me just read it to you. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone is desiring to come after me, let him forget self. Forget self, lose sight of his own interests, 
Let him pick up his cross and carry it. Let him be taking the same road with me that I travel. For whoever is desiring to save his soul, life shall ruin it. But whoever will pass a sentence of death upon his soul life for my sake shall find it. Let him forget self. Forget self. You know what Jesus is saying to these guys? Forget you. You have to. You have got to forget you. And you know this is coming out of a genuine place in him. Because just a few chapters later in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, Jesus is going into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he takes with him Peter, James, and John. And you remember what happened? He said, watch, right? Watch and pray. He said, I'm going to go over here and pray. And he went and he prayed. And he prayed a prayer that is so powerful that you can get you off your mind with this prayer. You can forget you with these words right here. He went away and he said, my God, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. But then what do he say? Not my will, but yours be done. For you to increase, I have to decrease. For your will to be done, I can't do my own. And then he came back and he found Peter and the boys walking and praying in the Holy Ghost and praising and worshiping. And, you know, bad translation. What were they doing? Sleeping. And Jesus woke him up and he said, what? Could you not watch and pray for one hour? One hour. Then it says he went back. Jesus left him again, went back and prayed the same thing. So that I ought to tell you this. You may have to pray it more than once. If there's any way this cup can pass from me, except I drink it. Not my will. Yours be done goes back. They're asleep again. And this is where he said to him, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here you are back to these two voices, spirit, flesh. We've got them both. And for years I read that going, yeah, boys, what's wrong with you? Wake up, pray. Your spirit's willing to pray, but your flesh is weak. It wants to sleep. But then I realized Jesus wasn't talking about just their weak flesh. He's talking about his own. He's talking about this tug of war that he's in the middle of because he goes away for a third time and prays the exact same prayer again. And he ended it the same way. Not my will, yours be done. But it occurred to me today for the first time how much Jesus desired their help in prayer because of what he was going through. To think that you could help Jesus by fasting a little bit of sleep, by just staying awake and watching for a minute, for a few minutes. He's in the middle of this 
The weakness of his flesh pulling on him. I don't want to go through this. The willingness of his spirit crying out louder, out even louder. Not my will, yours be done. That's the prayer right there. You want to get you off your mind? You want to forget you so that he can increase? Pray that. Not my will, yours be done. And you may have to pray it more than once. Why? Because you got the same weak flesh that all of us have. But you've also got the willingness of the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Willing to do His will. Willing to fulfill His will. Willing to feed the hungry. Willing to clothe the naked. Willing to not point the finger when you see a fault or a problem. Willing. Willing to build up the old waste places. Willing to be the repairer of the breach. Willing to not seek your own way. Do your own pleasure. Speak your own words. The Spirit of God in you is willing to do that. But you got to tap into that willingness. I think in our children's class this week, this is what they're learning. What'd we call that message? Pump up the volume. And we told them, the flesh is talking and your spirit's talking. You get to decide who gets the mic. Now they're both going to keep talking, but whoever you put the mic in front of, that's the one you hear the loudest. I could bring somebody up here and have you start talking, but I got a mic. And all I got to do is talk into the mic and they can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But as long as I've got the mic, who are you hearing? That voice. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. Flesh is talking, spirit's talking. If you want the volume on the spirit to increase, what's going to have to happen? The volume on the flesh has to decrease. He must increase. He must the glory must increase. The power and the presence must increase. But what has to happen so that it can? I have to decrease. Amen. 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 Would you stand up with me? Thank you, Lord. Guys, go ahead and begin to play. Thank you, Father. Won't you just close your eyes and say this out loud? He must increase. Say it like this, Jesus, Jesus I, desire I desire more than anything, more than anything for, an for an increase of you, of, you, of your power, of your, power, of your, presence, of your presence, and your glory, and your glory on, display on display in my life. In my life. I, desire you to I desire you to increase. I desire to hear your words. I desire to, I desire to know your thoughts. I desire to know your ways, to do your pleasure. But I know for you to increase, I must decrease. So I pray this by faith. After your example, in your authority, and I say with boldness, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Say it again. Not my will, but yours be done. Oh, Father, we worship you with this today. Lord, we mean it. We desire it. Lord, these days just ahead of us, they're the glory days. 
these that we're in right now, these are the glory days. And there's a, a, a desire on the inside of each one of us for greater degrees and greater manifestations of your glory in this house and in our houses. But we see now what it's going to take. And by your grace, by your help, we will turn down the voice of the flesh, turn up the voice of the spirit. We will see, we will hear, we will know and understand and do your good pleasure. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Just thank the Lord for it. Thank you, Lord. 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 These are answers right now, family. These are answers for us. These are answers for us. These are answers. Thank you, Lord. And if you're bold enough, just ask the Lord to show you when you've been speaking your own and thinking your own and doing your own. Just like we put a guard over our mouth these last few weeks, put a guard over your heart and over your mind. Lord, help me to see when I've got myself on my mind and get me off my mind. But you're going to have to replace it with Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Altar ministers, would you come to the front, please? Thank you, Father. Before you leave today, if there's anything that we can pray with you about. Sarah, did you have anything else? If there's anything we can pray with you about, come into agreement with you on, uh, we would love to do that. That's what this ministry is for right here. If you're not born again, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you know what today is? It's the day of your salvation. This is the day where you get to begin all over again. And it's so simple. And these ministers here can lead you in that. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost and praying in other tongues, what's that? Come find out. You need that. Every believer needs that. It's like plugging into the power source, man. It's like putting batteries in the flashlight. It's like you have no power without it. You need that. And if you don't have that in your life, come get it before you leave today. Praise the Lord. Does this help anybody today? Say it out loud and say it like you mean it. Lord, get me off my mind. Amen. You believe that? Glory to God. We love you. We're praying over you this week. We're declaring the blessing of the Lord over your life. And we say in Jesus' name, every day this week, you will be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing with the right people in Jesus' name. You are blessed. They're going to sing. We'll be dismissed. And we'll see you Tuesday for prayer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-577. 0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.